0: Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their
1: finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Angelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, September 2nd, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo and welcome to the podcast. So with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on Key.com slash including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So for this week's economic data, we had a number of reports, but most of them centered around employment, which is interestingly enough as we head into the Labor Day weekend. So first we had JOLT's report, which is the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, which indicates that job openings stayed consistent with around 11.2 million job openings in the economy. And then this morning we had a number of reports relative to the employment situation. First, 315,000 non-farm payrolls were added to the economy that was right in line with expectations at about 300,000. In addition, the overall unemployment rate ticked up a bit to about 3.7%. So George, as we think about these indicators and a number of others that we've looked at, how does it affect the economy, maybe Fed policy, and anything else that we're watching on behalf of investors? So I think Brian,
2: overall, the um, the employment report was better than expected. So we're talking to you just on the cusp of Labor Day, and I think most laborers should feel pretty good about things uh, based on what we saw in June. Um, numbers were red- I'm sorry, were July rather. Numbers were re- revised down a little bit uh, from the prior months, but Overall, the employment report was a pretty solid one, uh, coming in, about 315,000 jobs added. Private sector payrolls were uh, quite robust at about 260,000, and that's uh, that's a good bit ahead of where we've been prior to the pandemic. Um, I think the Fed will also probably kind of view this as kind of uh, business as usual, and they'll probably continue to think about raising rates pretty aggressively. Uh, Wages didn't rise uh, more than expected, they were still up about three-tenths of one percent I think month over month that kind of puts us at about 5.2 percent uh, year over year which is still pretty robust um the employment rate itself actually did rise a little bit uh, because actually there were more people coming back to the workforce so you might see some some of those numbers that suggest that employment is actually starting to, to go up again and it's true uh, but some of the numbers under the hood suggest that actually uh, the labor market is pretty strong we also got this reading brian uh, earlier this week called jolts which is probably less followed Uh, And it stands for Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey. Kind of a mouthful there. But um, I think it's an interesting kind of read because it also has some interesting statistics beyond the numbers that get reported um, on on Friday morning here, the first uh, Friday of the month. And what we saw in that report is that the labor market is really, um, you know, there's still a lot of, I guess it's a very tight labor market, basically, at the end of the day. There are still about 11.2 million jobs that are open right now. And that's actually almost two jobs for those that are unemployed. So that ratio of two to one is probably too hot for the Fed's comfort level. That's something that I think Jay Powell has talked about from time to time. So I guess, I think it feels like it's still a, a pretty robust uh, labor market. And with that, the Fed is probably gonna be um, pretty aggressive going forward, I would think. Rajiv, what is the, uh, the market expectations now for the Fed as we start thinking about their next meeting here in September?
3: Uh, great question, George. Uh, we did see the unemployment rate take up to 3.7%. Uh, That's the highest level we've seen since February. But it was for good reasons. More people joined the labor force. They're looking for work. I think the labor force participation rate is what I was focusing on, which uh, jumped from 62.4% in August to 62.1% in July, from 62.1% in July. So with that, I think the Federal Reserve uh, will most likely be happy with this report. It shows a cooling in wage gains in the month and also from a year ago. And uh, this shows that the Fed's aggressive monetary policy is uh, really starting to ease wage pressures. What's there not to like for the Fed, really, to be honest with you? It's like payrolls a little over forecast, unemployment rate is higher, and the average hourly earnings uh, just a bit weaker, strong strong job gains. Immediately, we saw the move in the two-year, which was up almost five ticks to uh, 3.42%. And our twos tens curve inversion that we've talked a lot about is a little less inverted today. Uh, we saw the uh, this two tens curve both steepen right after the number came out. Uh, traders are really paring back bets on the Fed hiking. Before the number, we saw two tens curve around 26 basis points. Now we see it around 20 basis points. And I feel all eyes are really gonna be on the September 13 CPI data. Wages are climbing faster than policymakers would like, but it's difficult to see this report taking 75 basis points off the table for September 21st. Uh, Are we gonna have a CPI number that's gonna be on September 13th? And that's gonna be the next big number that we're gonna look at. Um, And that's really gonna dictate whether we have 50 basis points on September 21st or we have 75. I feel like this number right now, it keeps 75 basis points on the table. And I think that uh, that's pretty much the aggressive stance the Fed will continue to take. Uh, We've had uh, several Fed speakers talk about the benchmark interest rate could go above 4% and stay there. At the current level, it's too restrictive. Now, I think that uh, this number really bodes well for that 75 base point hike. I think the Fed remains aggressive. Do you think, see that the Fed is
2: watching any one particular indicator of inflation? I mean, they I guess going back in time, they're really focused on this thing called PCE, you know, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, which is one way to calculate inflation. But the CPI report that we now seem to focus more on contains a lot of things the Fed can't control, right, you know, with respect to energy and food and so forth. So is that is that the new benchmark? And, and maybe if you, what you said just a minute ago, I think resonates too, where the employment situation is fine. And so it kind of just gives the Fed the green light to go forward. And there's almost like nothing to see here, move on. <laughs> but right. you know, as you mentioned, inflation is starting to become
3: more of a focal point. And so is it CPI the right thing that we should be watching? It's, uh, that's interesting because uh, the Fed has always talked about the PC, that's their benchmark, that's what they look at. But if you look at how the market reaction was the last time we saw a CPI report uh, that was a little uh, below the expected high that we uh, we saw in the market, we saw the market rally as if the Fed's going to stop uh, raising rates. The Fed came out and uh, uh, Fed Chair Powell came out and uh, Jackson Hole made it very clear that uh, there are no way they're they're stopping right now. We have a lot of wood to chop and I think they continue to look at the PCE report. Uh, the CPI report really is uh, something the market's really looking at a lot and uh, I could I could em- envision that we have a say we have a cooler uh, print on September 13th and the market does exactly what it did two weeks ago where you start seeing a rally in rates and then all of a sudden the Fed comes out on the 21st and say no. 75 basis points. We have a lot of wood to chop. We still have to get inflation down.
2: So on the inflation uh, side of things, Steve, I guess, you know, one thing that's kind of caught my attention lately is what's happening in the energy market and particularly the price of crude. You know, we all see, have seen some relief at the pump, which is welcome news for sure. But at the same time, you know, there is maybe some signal there with respect to what's happening in the broader economy. I mean, it wasn't, I think, more than just three months ago that the price of crude was at $120 a barrel. This morning, looks like it's around 88 or so. So, you know, it's not in a complete free fall, but it's really come down quite a bit. And of course, there's a lot of headlines and a lot of, I guess, volatility around what's happening in Europe and Russia in particular. So what are you seeing in the energy market that we should probably think about with respect to inflation and maybe broader market signals?
4: Well, I'll tell you, George, that me, my, for, for me, I think that the the key here has been that it's I, I think the oil price likely should be even lower than where it, where it is today if we were thinking that um, there was a kind of a normalization in uh, where crude oil prices were being. I mean, if we think about the recessionary impulse that had coursed its way through the markets, that's really what caused the price of oil to come down. I mean, if we think about it, our economy on a global basis really is dependent on energy to go. And when economic activity comes off, demand for energy comes off the margin and prices are set at the margin. So, you know, we would have expected if we were really heading recessionary to to see crude oil prices materially lower. I mean, the last time we had a uh, a, a move like this, and let's get the you know the minus thirty-five dollar price at the the COVID lows out of the question. But you know typical recessionary prices for crude oil, let's say it's between thirty and forty bucks. Um, and you know we saw price come down to around eighty-five, but not not go any lower. Um, now that tells me that the market is really tight for crude on a global basis, um, and maybe if the economy were a little bit weaker, we might see prices move back towards 60 or 65 bucks. But I, I think that 60 to 65 bucks feels to me like the new 30 to 40 bucks. Um, so that's something to think about because if we get into a scenario where the economy starts to improve again, crude oil prices are gonna act as a governor on that because prices are gonna move higher very fast. So I, I think it's something to, to keep an eye on to be sure Uh, But clearly, the price at the pump has been a tailwind for uh, consumer sentiment here as we've moved through the summer, because really, we haven't seen prices uh, move higher for retail gasoline
2: since the 5th of June. So it's been quite a while. Yeah. Also, this week was a a pretty brisk uh, report from Consumer Confidence. You know, that was one thing that we were signaling a couple of weeks ago that was looking uh, pretty, pretty dire in the sense that most consumers felt pretty grim about things, but it seemed like the numbers turned around, maybe again in reflection to what we've seen at the pump as well. And because uh, you, as you said before, that is kind of a tax cut when you start to see that level of, um, I guess, easing, if you will, of, of pressures from that level of inflation. But, you know, the other thing, I guess, you know, Europe is still dealing with these things in a really acute way. And, you know, the prices of energy over there are just skyrocketing and uh, the the situation doesn't seem to be getting um, much better. If anything, it looks like it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Have you kind of seen any kind of follow through or kind of lead through from what we might see in Europe to other parts of the world with respect to energy, Steve? Or are we just more independent now as a consumer of our own energy relative to where we were say in the 70s? Yeah, look, I I
4: think that it's very clear that the, the US is in a much better strategic position from a energy production perspective, than than we've been uh, really in in our in our memory, and you know the fact that we're tooling up to potentially export more natural gas to Europe to help their situation is you know part and parcel of that. Um, at the end of the day, though, you know I think that what we will see we we will eventually see a little bit of upward pressure on natural gas prices here in the US because uh, one of those, one of the things about uh, dealing in global commodities right natural gas has been kind of stranded here in the US it's part of the reason why our natural gas prices are so much lower than the the European markets. And if we actually start to export significant volumes of gas to Europe, that'll start to pull our prices upward toward the global price or the the global liquid natural gas price for shipment elsewhere. So it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, And what's the the
2: Delta there? What's the difference between, you know, as you said, our price of natural gas versus the rest of the global price, if you will. I think you said that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
4: normally it's probably three or four times uh right now it's it's much higher than that much much higher um but For you, times though yeah correct because wow. you because it costs a lot of money to turn natural gas to liquid and then to ship it on to load it on a a container uh, or a t- tanker and then to have that tanker travel halfway around the world and then to reliquify or deliquefact it in uh upon arrival or what they call regasification, um, so it's it is a industrial process and that adds a ton to the price. So yeah, you see global shipments of LNG are significantly higher in price, and quite honestly, that's why the infrastructure in Europe is set up the way that it is. Gas from Russia that comes in via pipeline is way more economic than to build liquefied natural gas terminals all over europe and ship it in from everywhere else the problem is though that that makes you a makes the ability of 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 potentially bad actors to hold you hostage um in a in a different different scenario right for geopolitics but like if we were just talking about what's the most efficient thing oh it's clearly to take gas by pipeline and not by 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 tanker
2: well, certainly a lot to pay attention to this fall. Of course, we've got midterm elections starting to heat up here in the states. And you know that uh, that's always a, a kind of a difficult thing to forecast. I'm sure there'll be a lot of policy around that. but you know I think we'll probably find a way to get through that as well because those things are usually short term in nature, even though there's there's gonna be a lot of uh, rhetoric as we we get towards the fall. But meantime, as we said before, you know, I think we're not in a recession right now economy still seems to be doing relatively well um, in the United States, particularly on the, the labor market situation, but we've got a pretty active Fed, as Rajiv talked about as well. So stay tuned. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting fall, and uh, we'll make sure we keep everybody abreast of our current
1: thinking as we go forward. Well, George, Stephen Rajiv, as always, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it, and we certainly hope that everyone has a safe and enjoyable Labor Day weekend. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today, and be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app, And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth
0: Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through KeyCorp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.